We shall now read God's word in the book of Job and Job chapter 33. Book of Job chapter 33. Job 33. Wherefore, Job, I pray thee, Hear my speeches, and hearken to all my words. This is Elihu, the young man, speaking. Behold, now I have opened my mouth, my tongue hath spoken in my mouth. My words shall be of the uprightness of my heart, and my lips shall utter knowledge clearly. The Spirit of God hath made me, and the breath of the Almighty hath given me life. If thou canst answer me, set thy words in order before me, stand up. Behold, I am according to thy wish in God's stead. I also am formed out of the clay. Behold, my terror shall not make thee afraid, neither shall my hand be heavy upon thee. Surely thou hast spoken in my hearing, and I have heard the voice of thy words, saying, I am clean without transgression. I am innocent. Neither is there iniquity in me. Behold, he findeth occasions against me. He counteth me for his enemy. He putteth my feet in the stocks. He marketh all my paths. Behold, in this thou art not just. I will answer thee, that God is greater than man. Why dost thou strive against him? For he giveth not account of any of his matters. For God speaketh once, yea, twice, yet man perceiveth it not. In a dream, in a vision of the night, when deep sleep falleth upon men, in slumberings upon the bed, then he openeth the ears of men, and sealeth their instruction. Then he may withdraw man from his purpose, and hide pride from man. He keepeth back his soul from the pit, and his life from perishing by the sword. He is chastened also with pain upon his bed, and the multitude of his bones with strong pain, so that his life abhorreth bread, and his soul dainty meat. His flesh is consumed away, that it cannot be seen, and his bones that were not seen stick out. Yea, his soul draweth near unto the grave, and his life to the destroyers. If there be a messenger with him, an interpreter, one among a thousand, to show unto man his uprightness, then he is gracious unto him, and saith, Deliver him from going down to the pit. I have found a ransom. 
His flesh shall be fresher than a child's. He shall return to the days of his youth. He shall pray unto God, and he will be favourable unto him. And he shall see his face with joy, for he will render unto man his righteousness. He looketh upon men, and if any say, I have sinned and perverted that which was right, and it profiteth me not, he will deliver his soul from going down into the pit, and his life shall see the light. Lo, all these things worketh God oftentimes with man, to bring back his soul from the pit, to be enlightened with the light of the living. Mark well, O Job, hearken unto me, hold thy peace, and I will speak. If thou hast anything to say, answer me. Speak, for I desire to justify thee. If not, hearken unto me, hold thy peace, and I will teach thee wisdom. <clears throat> Amen. May God bless to us the reading of his own infallible word. We shall now sing in Psalm 34, Psalm 34, and we'll sing verses 16 to 22, Psalm 34 and verse 16, the face of God is set against those that do wickedly, that he may quiet out from the earth, cut off their memory. The righteous cry unto the Lord, he unto them gives ear, and they out of their troubles all by him delivered are. 16 to 22 to God's praise. The face of God is Oh. 
turn to the chapter which we read together, the book of Job, chapter 33, and our text for this morning is verse 24, Job 33, verse 24, then he is gracious unto him and saith, deliver him from going down to the pit. I have found a ransom. The book of Job is hard to understand. Even the language is very difficult. It's a Hebrew poem, and it's interesting if you were to compare various translations of the book of Job to see the variations that the translators give in translating the book, because the Hebrew itself is extremely difficult uh, to understand and to translate. And because it's a difficult book, we tend to ignore it, don't we? Maybe read the first couple of chapters and the last couple of chapters and then tend to ignore what's in the middle. But we have to remember that all scripture is given by inspiration of God. It is all profitable. And furthermore, we are to remember that all scripture is about Christ. Remember Jesus, when he said to the Jews, search the scriptures. For in them ye think ye have eternal life. And these are they that testify of me. The scriptures testify of Christ. From Genesis to Revelation. It's really about him. It's about the Lord Jesus. And in that sense, Christ is to be found on every page of the scriptures, they all reflect Christ. And so we are to seek God's help and to try to understand and to see Christ in all the scriptures. Here we're told about a ransom. Deliver, we're told, 
deliver him from going down to the pit. Going down to the pit of hell. Deliver him because I have found a ransom. Well, surely that directs us to Christ, doesn't it? He says, I came not to be ministered unto, but to minister. I came not to serve, but to serve, to be a servant and to give my life a ransom for many. Christ came to be a ransom. The Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. Job was a good and godly man, but he needed the ransom. And no matter how good you are, or may think you are, you need the ransom too. We all do. All the children of Adam need this ransom, the ransom which Christ paid for us. Do you have a ransom? Have you claimed the ransom yourself? Do you have Christ paying the ransom for you? Or are you going down to the pit without a ransom? First of all today, I would like us to think of Satan's temptation. In Job chapter 1, verse 1, we have God's testimony concerning Job. And God says about Job that he was a perfect and an upright man, one that feared God and eschewed evil. Perfect, upright, fearing God and hating evil. But that's speaking in relative terms. We know that there is no man since the fall of Adam perfect apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. You remember the rich young ruler who came to Jesus and said, Good master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Wait a minute, there is none good but one, that is God. Why callest thou me good? Do you recognize that I'm God? Well, he didn't really. And yet he was calling Jesus good. And he thought of himself as quite good. All he needed was just a little bit extra, he thought, and then he would inherit eternal life. Whereas Jesus is saying there's none good. All need a ransom. All need their sins to be washed away. And they need the grace of God to save them. But relatively speaking, Job was relative to other people. A really good man, a really godly man. He was relatively perfect and upright. And God himself said concerning him that he was one who feared God or respected God or respected God's laws. And he was one that hated evil. And that's very high praise when it comes from God himself. And then we're told that Satan comes along with the angels of God and presents himself before the Lord. And 
God asks Satan, have you considered my servant Job? What a good and godly man he is. And Satan says, well, does Job serve God for, for not for nothing? You've put a hedge around him. You've made him rich. You've, you've prospered him. You've given him so much wealth and success. But now, put forth your hand. Touch his wealth, and he'll curse you to the face. And God said to Satan, well, I'll allow you to test him. But don't touch his health. And so we're told that Satan went out from the presence of God, and Satan did, did what, he, what he loves to do, to attack God's people and to hurt them. Because he's a destroyer, he's a hater of God and of his people. So Satan came along and Job, you remember, had 500 yoke of oxen and 500 she-asses. The oxen were ploughing in the field and the asses feeding beside them. And the Sabaeans came and carried them off and killed the servants. And one man escaped, one servant escaped, came to Job and said, you know what happened? All your oxen, your asses have been stolen and I only have escaped alone to tell you. And he'd no sooner finished telling his tale of woe to Job than along came another man and he said, your 7,000 sheep were feeding and the fire of God came down, the lightning from heaven and burnt up the sheep and the servants and I only have escaped alone to tell you. And he'd no sooner finished telling this story than along came another. And he said, you're 3,000 camels. The Babylonians, the Chaldeans came and they stole them away. And they killed your servants with a sword. And I only am escaped alone to tell you. And he'd no sooner finished telling his story than along came another and said, you know, your family, your seven sons and your three daughters, they were eating and drinking wine together in their eldest brother's house. And along came a terrible wind from the wilderness and hit the house and the house fell upon them and they all died. And I'm the only one who escaped alone to tell you. All this wealth, and not just one child, but his ten children died in one day. Who ever heard of such devastation in one day? And what did Job do? Curse God? No, he didn't. He said, the Lord gave and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Amazing grace in his life. And so Satan came along the next day to God. And God said, did you consider my servant Job? How he has not sinned, even although you moved me against him. And Satan said, well, yes, but uh, put forth your hand now and touch his health, touch his body, and he'll curse you to the face. And God allowed Satan to go and touch his health, but not to take away his life. So Satan went and brought boils upon Job, 
from the crown of his head to the sole of his feet he was covered with these boils aching itching miserable and he was sitting in the ashes with a, a potsherd scraping himself in his misery. And then Satan entered into his wife and said, How long are you going to retain your integrity? Job, curse God and commit suicide. God's against you. Just curse God. And take away your own life. Amazing how even his wife was possessed by the devil. And you remember what Job did? He didn't curse God. He turned to his wife and he said, You speak as one of the foolish women. How foolish, how ignorant, how stupid you speak. The foolishness of the devil is in your mouth. Shall we receive good at the Lord's hand? And shall we not receive evil? All my life up till now I've received good. And now there's trials from the Lord. Well, I must be patient in my trials. Is that the way you would be? Is that what you would say in these situations? Are you grumbling, complaining, discontented with God? angry with God. Why me? Why am I suffering so much? Why am I going through all this? Why has God done this to me? Why am I suffering from this illness? Why have I got this disability? Why have I got these problems in my family? Why these problems in my job? Why all these things against me? Why me? Shall we receive good at the Lord's hand? And shall we not receive evil? The Lord gave, the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. The story of Job reminds us of Peter, doesn't it? Remember what Jesus said to Peter. Simon, Simon, Satan hath desired to have you, that he might sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for thee, that thy faith fail not, and when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. Satan desired to have, he desired to have Peter. Satan hath desired to have you, and Satan is like that, going around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour, walking about, looking for you. Satan desired to have Job and to sift him as wheat. But Christ prayed for Job and interceded for him. And Christ intercedes as the mediator for you and me. He prays for us. We're in a war. We've got to remember that. And without the grace of God, we would all perish. We need help. We've got to remember that we are in a war situation. Put on the whole armor of God 
that you may be able to fight against the wiles of the devil. Oh, how many are his wiles. Put on the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, your loins girt about with truth, know the truth, your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, bearing the shield of faith, able to quench all the fiery darts of the devil and the sword of the Spirit. The word of God. Get thee behind me, Satan, for it is written, God said, we obey God, not you. Satan tempts Job, but Christ intercedes for Job. Satan tempts you. Thank God for Christ's intercession and make use of every means that you have to resist the devil. But then, secondly, an awful trial, an even worse trial than all that came before this comes to Job. There he is, sitting in the ashes, <coughs> scraping himself with a potsherd. And along come his friends, three godly men, three learned godly men. They come along and they came to sympathise, to mourn with him, to give him some support. And for seven days they give him very considerable support. They sit there with him and they say not a word. And sometimes that's the best thing we can do with somebody who's going through deep distress and trial, just to sit there, be sympathetic and say nothing. Often our words are foolish words when they come out. And the best thing we can do is sit and listen. So for seven days, they sit there in silence. And then we're told that Job began to speak and cursed the day on which he was born, wished that he had never been born, that he had died in his mother's womb. His life has become so bitter for him. And Job says, I don't know why this has come upon me. And he says, why is God dealing with me in this way? And then his friends begin to speak. Job had said, oh, that I knew where I might find him, that I might order my case before him, that I might plead with him so that I would argue with God and tell him what a difficult situation I'm in. And God would understand. But then his friends begin to speak. And in what they say, they say many good things. 
and many wise things and many true things. But it wasn't the truth that was appropriate for the situation. That's the problem. They speak many truths, but not the appropriate truth for the situation. They have a simplistic approach to job suffering. And their simplistic approach is this. They say, Job, we've never seen anybody suffer as much as you have. Therefore, you must have done something really bad. We don't know what it is, but there's some wickedness in you. There's some terrible evil. There's something you did secretly. You did something horrible. Some immorality. Some terrible cruelty that you showed to somebody. Some oppression. God is just. And God punishes the wicked. And you must be wicked. And if only you admitted your wickedness, confessed it and repented, then all would be well. So, Job, you're suffering so much because you're really wicked and you've got to repent. Now, sometimes, of course, trouble comes upon us because of our wickedness. Sometimes we're chastened by God. Whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receiveth. We know that, for example, in David's life. When David sinned, he was chastised. His little baby boy died, and also the sword did not depart from his house because of the way he had used the sword wickedly. The sword came down upon his house and his family, so he suffered because of his sin. Sometimes we suffer because of sin, but other times our suffering is not directly linked to any sin that we've committed. Sometimes we suffer because God is, through these sufferings, sanctifying us. Sometimes those who suffer most are not the greatest sinners. Looking through the scriptures, we see the Apostle Paul as somebody who suffered more than most. We think of all the troubles that he went through. He was a great Christian. Was there ever a greater Christian than Paul? Yet, three times he tells us he suffered shipwreck. And he actually was shipwrecked four times because he suffered another shipwreck after these times on his way to Rome as a prisoner. Shipwrecked four times, beaten, beaten by the Jews, whipped by the Romans, imprisoned, stoned and left for dead. He suffered all kinds of Hardships, hunger, thirst, 
cold, weariness, burdens of all kinds. And then to add to it all, God sent him the thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to buffet him. He was sorely tried and eventually martyred. And yet where would you find a godlier man? So maybe you're going through great troubles. Maybe you're suffering greatly. And maybe it's not to do with some sin in your life. But it's because God loves you. And God is wanting you to be an even greater Christian than you are. And to bring you on to a, a deeper, richer level. He's wanting to sanctify you. And that's why the Apostle Paul says in Romans 5, Glory in tribulation. Rejoice in tribulation because tribulation works patience and patience experience and experience hope. And hope maketh not ashamed because the love of God is shed abroad in your hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he hath given unto you. Who are these arrayed in white raiment? These are they that have passed through great tribulation and washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Those who get to heaven, the troubles that afflict the just, the troubles that afflict the righteous and the godly, the troubles that afflict the just, in number many be. Many troubles afflict the righteous. But yet at length out of them all the Lord hath set him free. If we're not getting troubles in our life, perhaps we should start worrying. Is there something wrong? Trouble is not a sign that God is punishing us because of some particular wickedness. It may be, it may be correction, but also on many occasions. These trials are for developing our faith, for sanctifying us. God sanctifies his people through afflictions and distresses and trials and tribulations. It must have been hard for Job to hear his friends say to him, you're a really wicked man. You've done horrible things. Satan was using his friends to hurt him even more, to rub salt into his wounds. But then, thirdly, notice Job's response. Job justifies himself. He says, it's not fair what I'm suffering. He calls his friends miserable comforters. Are you all? Well, they certainly were that, miserable comforters. Sometimes his faith comes through very strongly. For example, in chapter 13, verse 
15, where he says, Though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. There he is, feeling all these pains. And he says, I'm going to trust whatever happens. Well, there's his faith triumphing. Though he slay me, even although my end comes, yet will I trust in him. Or we think of chapter 19, verses 25 and 26, where again he says, I know that my Redeemer liveth, and though after my skin worms destroy my body, yet in my flesh I shall see God. One day I'll see him. One day I'll be resurrected. One day I'll be in heaven with God. I know it. But other times, he wished himself dead. He sinned in justifying himself rather than God. To begin with, he stood firm, but eventually he sinned. He wished to meet God in order to put God right, to tell God that you hadn't done anything terribly bad. Why are you dealing with me like this? It's not fair. You're not right, God, in what you're doing with me. His friends were accusing him, accusing him of immorality, cruelty, secret sin. And there was no particular sin in his life for which this happened to him. But there was sin in his life. We're all sinners. And whatever happens to us, we don't get what we deserve. And even if the very worst happened to us, just what we deserve anyway isn't it we all deserve hell because we've sinned sinned many times we sin in thought word and deed every one of us born in sin shaping in iniquity even after we're converted we still sin sin is so easy for us sin is so natural for us and God hates sin and one sin would send us to hell forever. So Job's response is justifying himself rather than God. So eventually his three friends give up. Chapter 32, verse 1. He's righteous. Job sees himself as righteous in his own eyes and his friends notice that. But then, fourthly, we have Elihu's rebuke of Job. I've heard Elihu described as an empty, pompous windbag. That's utter nonsense. Elihu, a young man, and he's a man of God. And he's a man who speaks for God. And it's worth noticing that everyone else is rebuked by God, but Elihu is not. Job has to, has to pray to God and intercede for his three uh, friends 
because they did not speak aright for God. Job himself is humbled before God and has to abhor himself in dust and ashes, as it were, before God. But there's no word about a criticism of Elihu. And why is that? It's because Elihu speaks for God. And Elihu points out to Job that no matter how good he is, that he's still a sinner. And that God must be justified rather than Job. He's a godly young man. And he's the only one in this book who receives no criticism. He speaks for God, speaks in very poetic language. Much of it is difficult to understand, but at the same time, it's clear the, the general message of what he's saying. Uh, the Spirit of God, verse 4 in this chapter, hath made me, the breath of the Almighty hath given me life, life, and the Spirit of the Lord is leading him in what he says. He says to Job, verse 9, You are wrong when you say, I am clean without transgression. I am innocent, neither is there iniquity in me. There is none clean before God. We're all filthy before him. We must not fight with God. We must not justify ourselves in the presence of God. God is just. God is perfect. And every man is a sinner. There is none righteous, no, not one. All our righteousness, all our what is best about us, is filthy rags. At very best, what we have is filthy rags. I was very much struck by what Paul said about himself in Ephesians, where he described himself in amazing words, really. Paul said, looking at Christians, looking at all the other Christians in the world, looking at the poor Christians and the backslidden Christians, Paul said, I am less than the least of all the saints. That's amazing. Would you describe yourself as the poorest Christian in this church? Would you describe yourself as less than the least of all the Christians in Inverness? How could Paul say that when he was such a great Christian? Such a godly man? The only way he could say it was because he knew his own heart. And he didn't know anybody else's heart the way he knew his own. He could see the rottenness in his own heart but he couldn't see into other people's hearts. And if you and I could see something of what Paul saw there, how humble we would be. I am less than the least of all the saints. And in another place he said, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners 
of whom I was chief? No. Of whom I am chief. Paul spoke of himself as the chief of sinners. How amazing. That's the kind of attitude that we need. And this is what the Lord is showing Job. He's showing him that although he was a perfect and an upright man, one that feared God and eschewed evil, yet he was a sinner. And you're a sinner, and I'm a sinner. And as sinners, we need to confess our sin. We need to realize our sin. And that from the crown of our head to the sole of our foot, there is no soundness in us but wounds and bruises and putrefying sores. And that we are all lepers before God. The leprosy of sin is there, a disease that loathsome is, so fills our loins with pain, that in our weak and weary flesh no soundness does remain. So Elihu rebukes Job, and he tells Job, you're not perfect, and you're wrong to be justifying yourself rather than God. And then finally we have here the ransom. What a wonderful message the ransom is for sinners. The wages of sin is death. We're all sinners, dying, going down to the pit. The gift of God is everlasting life. I have found a ransom. You are redeemed not with corruptible things such as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Redemption. How are you redeemed? How can you be redeemed? Only with the blood of Christ. That's the only answer. The precious blood of Christ. It washes away our sins. How can we stand before a holy God? How can a sinner, a stinking, filthy sinner like me get to heaven? It's only clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Even godly Job needed the ransom. Being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have the atonement. Christ is atoning work. That's the basis and the only basis of our justification. Christ died in our Roman place. He lived a perfect life and he gave to us that perfection so that we stand before God clothed in the long white robes of Christ's righteousness. And he took the rags, our filthy rags, upon himself and was punished with the wrath of God in our place. And he died a curse of death on the cross of Calvary in order that there might be peace with God. A ransom, I have found a ransom. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. This world 
Christ came into the world not to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. How can the world be saved? God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. We all deserve the pit. But the victory that overcometh the world is our faith. Faith in the Lamb of God. Faith in the blood of Christ. Our only hope is Jesus. We need that ransom. Job was humbled when he met God. He was in dust and ashes as it were before him. On his knees crying for mercy but he had the ransom and through that ransom he was accepted his friends who were condemning Job they had to come with a sacrifice they were putting down on Job and they were thinking that they were better than he was but they needed to come with a sacrifice and they needed the intercession of Job and whoever we are, we need. We need the ransom. Do you have Christ? Do you have him as your ransom? Have you claimed the blood of Christ? Christ is freely offered to sinners. Will you take him? Will you trust him? Will you receive and embrace the Lord Jesus Christ freely offered to you in the gospel? Come to Christ and be saved. And fellow Christian who's struggling with troubles and trials and distresses and pains and anxieties, remember, the Lord loves you. He allows you to go through these things because it's for your good. Job emerged as gold from his trial. He was a far better man after all that. Far better. God gave him twice the riches he had before. He gave him sons and daughters. And God blessed him with a new level of godliness. All things work together for good to those who love God to those who are the called according to his purpose. Let us pray. <clears throat> o Lord our God, we lift up our hearts to thee in prayer and we give thanks that there's a purpose and a meaning in everything that happens and that although Satan is allowed sometimes to test us and tempt us and trouble us and bother us and sometimes... <coughs> In these trials we fall, yet we rejoice that there is a ransom. We praise thy name that the ransom price has been paid for our soul's deliverance. We praise thee that although the pit is opening its mouth to receive us, because Christ paid the ransom for us, there is therefore now no condemnation. 
to them who are in Christ Jesus. Help us to look to Christ, to trust in him alone, and give to us patience and perseverance, whatever we have to pass through in this life. And grant us calmness of spirit as we commit our ways to the Lord, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Our closing praise is in Psalm 20, 20th Psalm, and we'll sing verses 1 to 5. Psalm 20, verses 1 to 5. Jehovah, hear thee in the day when trouble he doth send, and let the name of Jacob's God thee from all ill defend. Oh, let him help send from above, out of his sanctuary, from Zion his own holy hill. Let him give strength to thee. Psalm 20, verses 1 to 5. Jehovah, hear thee in the day when trouble he does service as usual at 6.30 p.m. The prayer meeting on Thursday to be taken by Mr. Harley Cameron. The services next Sabbath at the usual times, 11 and 6.30. The speaker is still to be arranged. The building fund collection for August is due today. Please note, today is the last day for the donations to TBS, the Trinitarian Bible Society. So these intimations are all God willing.
grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all, now and forevermore. Amen. Amen. Amen.